Welcome to the Growing Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Dr. Heather Thompson-Dane. She's an interdenominational speaker whose work has been featured in Newsweek, The Today Show, and BBC Radio Live. The author of seven books, including It's Not Your Turn and Confessions of a Christian Wife. Dr. Day currently works as an associate professor of communication at Colorado Christian University. So there are many reasons why I appreciate you, Heather, very much. Uh, partially because of what you offer in the social media world and your insight and your expertise on, on communication, uh, but also because you're one of the people that I turn to trying to understand uh, the black experience in America. We actually did a video where you shared your thoughts on kind of what was happening around the whole George Floyd incident, and I really appreciated that. Um, and I know that a lot of people in the church are struggling to figure out, well, what do we do when it comes to different barriers, whether they're racially um, set up or socioeconomic, different things. You are in a unique position. You, you mentioned in a previous episode, your church is kind of in this rougher part of town. You're married to your husband who's uh, of a different uh, race than you are. Like you interact with young adults all the time. So if you can just like, I'm going to throw it out there, just church and race and different cultures and all that kind of stuff. Where do we even begin to, to wrap our minds around these uh, challenges that we face? Yeah, I think it always starts by listening. Simply listen to people and their experiences. Simply say, I hear you and validate them in their experiences. I think that that is, you know, we do so much talking. And I just think that especially when it comes to people's experiences, especially on like hot button issues like race, the best thing you can do is just be quiet and listen. You know, uh, I agree with you. I'm actually wearing the hat that that is like my reminder of this very fact. Like, yes, listening is so important. Um, and I know that I'm still, I guess I'm still trying to figure out why listening has been so hard for me uh, growing up. Listening was not a value that my family really was like about. In my family, it's like the squeaky, how does the, how does the phrase go? The squeaky wheel gets the oil or something along those lines. It's this idea of like, you speak up if you need something. Otherwise, we're just going to assume everything is okay. And so for me, like listening to people was, it felt just, it felt like an exercise in futility. I don't know. That sounds like way more crude and insensitive, but maybe it was just crude and insensitive at the time. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. But for, for someone who's maybe not convinced about the power of listening, if like, if you're seeking the good of someone else, sometimes we feel like I got to tell them something. I got to like help them, give them advice. But listening seems like going the opposite direction. It's hilarious because like most of therapy is what? Yeah, just how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, paying somebody to listen to you, right? And I can say for myself, I have, my calendar is filled with meetings that I have with students. And it is honestly not that I'm talking and giving them all these pearls of wisdom. I listen and I, and I just say to myself, don't touch your phone be present, look them in the eyes and listen. Right. And it matters. And they, and then they'll be like, Dr. Day was the best teacher I ever had. <laughs> talk. You know what I mean? I just, but I, I think that tells you how few people feel like people are really listening to them anymore. I think we are just losing our ability as a culture to, we know we are. Hmm. It used to be that the only way our brains could store and retain information was by listening to it. If you tell me where to go with directions, I have to listen and my brain has to be activated and store that information. 
we don't have to listen to anything anymore because if I forget what you said, I'll pull out my phone and it will tell me how to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. If you tell me some important information, I mean, we know this with like just people in the medical field, how often do they use Google when they go back to their office? Often, like we know this, right? It has totally radically changed our culture. And so I just think that Christians need to be the people that say, no, like this matters. I need to stop, slow down. I had an 18 year old student that said, this was very brilliant. He said, there's a difference between listening and waiting to talk. And I've always remembered, this is six or seven years ago now, and I've always remembered that. And I'm like, yeah, in this situation, as I'm arguing with my husband right now, am I listening to him or am I waiting to talk? Yeah. There's a difference. Maybe if I listened, it would change the trajectory of the rest of the conversation. This is, this is so tough as a church because we... We believe in our message. We believe that our message is life changing, that it can really like solve so much of the world's problems if you just like gave the Jesus thing a shot and lived it out kind of a thing. And so when we're in these conversations with people who are going through very real things, like it's hard to sit on our hands and listen, like because we have in our minds at least the solution to to all the world's problems. And so like how do we as a church get away from like, cause even like our heroes of the faith, right. Are always the writers, the speakers, the thought leaders. And so it's someone who has something to say, not someone who listens per se that, that we really like cherish and value as a community. How do we get away from that type of uh, like worldview as a church and really value listening again? I mean, if we, but if we look statistically, the great leaders that we're referencing are listeners. Like that, we know statistically that the best leaders are listeners. Jesus, who literally is the answer, asked questions. Oh. And if that, that doesn't make you, I, I don't know how many times, and I pay attention because I'm a communication person. So I notice those things. How often Jesus asked questions. You guys, next time you go through your Bible reading, it's a lot. Yeah. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, where are you? He says. God constantly asks questions. And the reason is because questions literally hijack your brain. Hmm. If I say, let's just do an experiment for people who are listening right now. I'm going to, okay, we're going to turn this into my communication classroom. Awesome. I've always wanted to be in one of your classrooms. (laughs) I'm going to ask a question. What color is your house? The second I ask you that question, your brain immediately brings up, even if you're like scrolling on your phone and trying to do something else, your brain can't help but be hijacked and want to answer the question that it was just asked. We know Mm -hmm. that if we simply ask people, hey, are you voting this month? It raises voting by like 30%. Oh, wow. If I say, would you, hey, are you gonna buy a new car? You become 20% more likely to buy a new car simply because I asked you the question. Questions hijack the brain and they cause your brain to not be able to focus on anything but the question that's being asked. So how does the church do this? We ask questions. Stop always trying to be the answer. The the first thing that comes to my mind is the the person knocking on the door. Hi, can I tell you about my friend Jesus? Like, I'm guessing that's not the, is that the question that you're suggesting or what, what, what kind of questions? How much more effective, Justin, to knock on the door and say, what can I do for you? Hey, our church is located one mile away. How can we help? Is there anything we can do? That those type it, it seems like stupid simple, honestly, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I don't I, I say that my husband and I have these conversations all the time where I'm like, 
why don't we just knock on doors and ask how we can help? Mm. And, it, and I'm not going to say like, I, because I'm a part of a local church, I know the reason is because it's very hard to get volunteers, right? Sure. Like, so what the pastor is going to go all day and every day. And that's all he does. You know, it's hard. So we have to, and this is where young people come in. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you got 10 young people and said, hey, we're going to do this really awesome new idea. We're just going to go knock on doors and ask people how we can help. Young people will do it because hmm. they want to participate. Yeah, which is so interesting because, you know, my background as a literature evangelist type was getting young people to go door to door was was a bit of a problem, was a, was a bit of a challenge. It wasn't the most exciting thing all the time. But you're suggesting a different paradigm. When, when we were going door to door, it was always like, well, I don't know what to say. Like, it's such an easy answer to say, well, you don't have to say anything. Just ask a question and then write down the answers. Like, that's that's a lot easier to figure out. And then knowing that that's not just an empty exercise so that we can then put the, you know, the great controversy in their house. But knowing that there's a reason why we're asking those questions. There's a reason why we're writing down their responses. It's because when we get back home, we're going to figure out how do we dream about actually solving the problems that our neighbors are facing. Yeah, and I'm a big believer, you know, Jesus sent people out two by two. I'm a big believer in partnership. I think it, I can just say with my own blog, I have a blog with my best friend called I'm That Wife. And we are at like, I don't know, almost 200,000 followers. There is no way I would still be blogging had I done it by myself because mm. there were so many months and months and months, three years that it just felt like we're putting out content and it didn't feel like anybody cared. And the difference was when I wanted to quit, she would look at me in the eyes and say, I just feel like we're going to make it. I just feel like we have to keep going. I just, and when she felt that way, I would do the same for her. So our partnership helped us. Hmm. And so I too in ministry, like how do we set people up in pairs? How do we create partnerships and how do we give people clear? Cause most people just don't know what to do. It's not that they don't want to, it's that there's nobody organizing saying, this is how we're going to impact our community this month. Hmm. How, how, who can be in charge of that and organize that and then put people in pairs and send them out? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say I'm a person that's motivated to want to do something, but the situation you just described is exactly what I'm facing. I, I don't know where to start. I, I see people in my community. There are different colors than me. They're different religions than me. They're different, uh, you know, sexual orientations than me. Like I want to be a part of their world. I want to be able to pour into them and like be a part of their life, but I don't know where to start. And it doesn't seem like there's any any real leadership that's developing on the areas that I care about, where do I go from just, this is something I'm interested in? Yeah. The internet cut out and I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I was like, I can't take this. I have no idea what he said. That's funny. So I was, uh, the question was, Someone's in their church, they're motivated to change. They see the brown communities, the gay communities, the different religious communities around them. Um, and there's no leadership saying, this is what we're going to do. So there, it's just a lay member who wants to do something. Where do you suggest like they kind of like launch it? Where do they start for that? Oh, um, I, I think that's where online community comes in. I have seen, I've seen my students do it where they post and they say, hey, my pastor said this, or this is happening, what should I do? And sometimes all you need, as far as motivation to get started, is one person to say, that's a great idea. Hmm. So put it out there, post it, and see what feedback you get back. And of course, I, you know, I believe in partnership. Find, is there somebody on the ground with you who can be a partner with you doing that? Or, and you know what else too? We don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Yes, I'm glad that you want to go in on this. Talk, yeah, talk to I, me about I, this. This is good. 
I'm passionate about homelessness just because my best friend that I told you I did the blog with, her dad was homeless for, for many, many years. He's passed away. But I'm because I had that personal experience and relationship, um, homelessness wasn't a statistic to me. It was Scarlett's dad, you know. And so I could have said, what are we as a church doing to impact homelessness? Or I could say, what shelters already exist in the area and what nonprofit organizations already exist within five miles or 20 miles that are already tackling this issue? No, 10 times more about it than I do. And how do I call them and say, how do we connect? So I think that that also needs to be happening. And I, I bring this up to my husband a lot too, like as a church, how are we reaching out to the nonprofit organizations that already exist? And already are passionate and say, how do we as a church in this community serve what you are already doing? I guarantee you they already have leadership. They already have designated days. And then you just come back to your church and say, hey, this organization is looking for two volunteers on a Wednesday night. Do we have two people that will go out for that? That's all we have to do. Mm-hmm. We don't always have to be the hub that creates. How do we assist in what other people are already doing as well? Yeah, that, that that's... I, I don't know why it feels that way, but it does feel like a paradigm shift for a lot of the Adventists that I know. Um, you know, we're taught that, oh, you know, we're not supposed to partner with other religious denominations. Certainly if it's not Catholic, you know, oh my goodness, God forbid. But it's like, no, like what what matters more? Uh, serving the person's need or making us feel good about ourselves that we're leading something that reaches two people a week? You know, like what if we just partner with people who are doing it well? Like that that could be really valuable. Yeah, I started volunteering at Center for the Homeless. And they ended up, and it was actually really great. So I I recommend this for people too. I found a way to get plugged in, in what my spiritual gift already is. So my spiritual gift is teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I started teaching a class at the homeless shelter um, and communication. And that was my way to get plugged in and serve. They already were in operation. They were already doing great things. I'm able to talk to other people in the community about what the Center for the Homeless is doing and serve in that way in my gift. So it actually wasn't even draining. I loved it because that's what I love doing anyway. So how do you, I think it's important too, to do like a spiritual gift inventory. Mm. I think how do we see what we are naturally good at? I think of that story of the talents, right? How do we take what we are already naturally good at and say, how, God, how do you use this? I want to give this to you. Help me, lead me to the right organization. And I think that that's a prayer you can just pray and God will answer. Yeah. God, lead me to the right organizations that will use these gifts. Yeah, I think that that's super good in, in that, you know, God has created us and designed us with unique giftings, with unique skills and placed us even geographically in this time for a purpose. Like, there's a reason why you exist where you do exist. And it might actually be because God has already equipped you with everything you need to reach the people that he's intended you to already reach. And when we stop looking at things like, oh, we have no resources, we have no talents, we have no people to realizing like, no, God has equipped me with everything that I could ever need to reach the people that he's already sent me to reach. Like it changes the way that you you see yourself. It changes the way that you see the opportunities that are at hand. There is this really great YouTube clip People should watch it of Stephen Furtick. It's a sermon he did a couple weeks ago where apparently before he got on stage, he put $200 in his son's pocket Hmm. and then he gets on stage and he preaches a sermon. And at the end, he calls his son up and he says, I need $200. And his son at first looks at him and is like, I don't have $200. But then he remembers that his dad had put $200 in his pocket before. And so he looks at him and he starts to pull out his pocket and Stephen looks at him and he says, and he turns to the congregation. He says, God will not ask you for something he hasn't already deposited. It was so That's good. good. God calls you to it. He's already deposited within your spirit the means by which you will get there. It's just take the step of faith and go. Mm. Sir. 
Mm, mm, that's so good. Uh, real quick, before you wrap things up, I wanted to know kind of what you're seeing from like a, a 30,000 foot uh, view. You, you get to interact with young people all the time. You're really active online. Um, and you work like really intensely with your church community. What are some of the glaring areas of need out there in the world in whatever type of community like immediately jumps out to you? And what are the opportunities that you see as a church to be able to go and meet those opportunities? The first one, just in the community I'm in, um, I'm telling my husband, we have got to find a lawyer who will come and do classes or visitations or consultations on immigration papers. Mm. That is big thing that is affecting a lot of people in our community right where we are. How are we as a church speaking into that? Most of the people that um, enter our country enter legally and then their their paperwork expires. And there, there's like such a, just so people know, like there's a lot of bad lawyers too that know that you're undocumented now and will string you along and mm -hmm. take your money and then do nothing for you. I did not know this until I've met all these immigrants in my community. And it's just like, how are we as a church protecting vulnerable people in these situations? How are we helping you just process paperwork in a different language? Mm. These are conversations I think that we need to be having. So that's one. I think another one that I see right now, especially is um, people just need help even putting together resumes. So many people just need someone to hold their hand. And it's like, nobody has the time to do that. And I just think as a church, like we have the Adventist Church is so educated. Mm -hmm. We have all these incredibly talented, educated people. How are we deploying our education to serve those who did not have access to those same paths? And how are we helping just people just in, I promise if you probably put out a thing in your church and broadcast it online and put it on the sign, we are helping you redo your resume. Come on Thursday nights, every Thursday night from six to eight, people will show up. Wow. These are basic needs that prevent people from having quality of life because there's nobody to help them. And so how are we just stepping into that gap and helping? I think of the verse in Ezekiel and I scan the earth looking for someone to stand in the gap and I found no one. Hmm. Lord, please don't say that of us. May he find us at our local church. And we can't control, I can't control the NAD. I can't control the GC. I can control what happens at Life Source Endeavor. And that's the commitment that me and my husband are making. We can't control everything else, but that doesn't mean we do nothing. We serve right where we are.